Welcome to Futures Forum, mind-sharing ideas, innovations, and best practices. Hosted by StoryCraft Lab in partnership with Hub. This episode is about virtual spaces. For this conversation, we gathered industry experts from Intel, Hub, Google, Kaon Interactive, NASA, Ethics Lab at Georgetown University, Fruition, and PCMA. There's two ways we can define virtual in this new world that we're walking into. Right now, what we're doing is virtual. Are we talking about virtual reality or are we talking about digital remote meetings like the one we're having now? I think it's really important that we clear up what we're talking about because there's different disciplines and practices on this call that have different priorities and some are internal facing, some are customer facing. So what are we talking about? From my perspective, we're actually talking about both just to be difficult. You know, I think that there is a recognition that uh, virtual reality is a technology and as a tool that can be applied in some scenarios. And as we're talking about virtual connectivity, <laughs> it's what we're doing right now. We're using um, this digital platform to service our remote engagement with one another. Um, so, you know, and I think that's also something we should talk about, right? That, um, that virtual reality as a product is one of these kind of tools that we can apply to the right audiences and to the, to the right, uh, right content. How do we help attendees to connect, navigate, and experience virtual spaces? And how does the venue and setting influence the conference experience? The psychology of the space that you're in, um, it's like the devil's in the details, right? And that I think in a lot of virtual spaces can feel really sterile and they can feel really plain and there's no life to them, there's no detail. It's the idea of bringing that familiarity back and, and giving people something that they're going to gravitate towards. But if we're going to go into the realm of what a virtual space looks like to an individual, I think we have to understand where that guest is coming from or uh, what the objective of the environment will be, um, what dictates what that environment's going to look like. And so I usually break that down into three main categories. Um, and that's what's possible, not possible rather, in the real world. So for example, like you can't go inside a computer in the real world, but in a virtual space, you can. You can land on a motherboard or you can end up inside a, a stream of data if you want to. Um, and then there's the what's in the real world, right? So oftentimes people instantly gravitate to this idea of recreating the environment around them. Like we've talked about this idea of recreating a trade show floor. Okay, that ha may have its purpose, but we have to ask why. Why are we recreating this space? Because if we're going into a virtual environment, the sky's the limit. So let's take that opportunity to do something different. But oftentimes the best way to explain something is in the real world application of that thing, if you will, right? So if we're gonna talk about an environment that may not be easily accessible to somebody, right? So that's a really great way and a great reason to recreate something virtually. Um, I've used the example of an oil rig. You know, if you work in the oil and gas sector, you may have been on an oil rig, but you probably haven't because it's really expensive and really hard to get to. However, you need to be able to understand that process 
And by creating a virtual space to go to that location, you can understand that process. But then there's also the places that we go to on an everyday, right? There's the, a stadium or an office complex, whatever it may be, where there's a high level of technology being implemented. But if you want to understand how that technology flows to and from and how communication works in that space, sometimes you need to be able to kind of take a step back and sit at this 20,000 foot view and watch things move around in that space. And, you know, that also then leads back to the, to what we were talking about, about the interiority or what Jonathan was talking about, which is how do you make that space feel familiar? What are the details in there that will make somebody feel comfortable in that environment? And then the third space is the abstract space. And this is an opportunity to get a little bit more creative or more artistic, because a lot of times the content that we're talking about can be really obtuse or really out there. And a normal everyday environment doesn't fit. Dropping somebody into this, this astral plane of computer boards won't fit. So how do you make something visually and exciting and, and appealing? Um, I remember doing uh, a VR experience at the Dali Museum in St. Petersburg, where they dropped us into a tableau of multiple paintings. And now this was early on into the world of VR, but what was really interesting about it is that you were experiencing this, this crazy trippy world that Dali lived in himself, but you got to kind of imagine what it was like to be in his space, but you were also learning about the environment and what made him think about that space. So the biggest goal for me when I'm dealing with somebody, when I'm talking about virtual spaces is really trying to understand what their ultimate goal and objective is with that space. And now as we move into uh, the future where I think virtual spaces are going to become more and more important, you can start layering technologies into that that will allow for congregation and allow for people to meet and communicate within those spaces. There are some components of the conference experience that we just want to that we may want to create, you know, recreate um, physically. And then there are some where, some where we, you know, make the decision to completely reimagine because we can, you know. Why put people into, you know, an uncomfortable expo hall experience that's never really been a particularly compelling component <laughs> of the conference? Why recreate that? Uh, because now we're actually put into this space where we can figure out kind of what does make that experience compelling um, and really kind of dig into each of those touch points. And um, rather than being defined by the platform, we're, it's necessary at this point in time that we can help redefine it. What are the best practices we can apply from face-to-face -face event design? And what are the entirely unique considerations for virtual? I find this a really interesting time that we're in, right? And how, what we're gonna look like on the other side. It's gonna be very interesting for all of us as humans in the world, but also just people engaging each, with each other in this event or just commuting format, I think is really, I hate to say fascinating because things are so crazy right now, but um, just thinking about this problem based, um, based in my world, one of the things I think is really important when you're designing for guest experience or just user experience is how to make people feel present and aware. So I do that in space and we do that with design when you walk into a lobby or thinking about getting signed up when you're moving through an event, um, an event venue or, or a big conference, right? We want people to be at ease. We want to bring down their cognitive load. 
So I'm thinking about switching to virtual and how do we make that connection? I've been trying to figure out like, how do we help people both feel comfortable? Like I belong here. I know how to control this environment. So you think about like the first time you tried to use Zoom, I used to design software products and it's like, it was weird for me. And I use, I'm on video calls all day, every day, back to back, but I use Hangouts because I'm a Google platform. So when I was trying to use Zoom, I'm like, I'm a little uncomfortable. And, and somebody was talking about this earlier, like how do you use what people know to help them feel comfortable so they can pay attention to the meat of your event and the content that you want people to convey. So I've been thinking about that a lot. Like how do we, I can't use a fancy lighting sculpture to snap somebody into paying attention like I'm in a new space because you're in the digital space now. So how do you help people feel present and how do you help them feel comfortable to know how to navigate, to engage so that they're not like trying to find the mute button and I was in a meeting earlier today and there's this new thing where you can put emojis up on the screen and it's like all that stuff distracts from what we're trying to do when we run a great event. So I've been thinking about those things a lot lately. How do I translate that stuff? If you're uncomfortable with technology, which a lot of the users are oddly for Google, how do we help them come to the virtual events we want to have, use our platforms, be comfortable, understand what's going on and not get distracted by all these lovely things. So I think we're gonna be going through some big evolutional, evolutionary, like everybody's gonna be using these platforms. Like Zoom is getting so much more traffic than they ever have. And so I think all that's good and we're gonna evolve quickly, but it's gonna take a while to figure out how to make people feel present, how to design the space for comfortability of all these different levels. In space design, you kind of design for the lowest common denominator, people have never been there. So how do you really account for all that is a lot of the same things we, I think about when I'm designing a center for Google and my team thinks about, and we're going to just have to apply that here. So that's really where I've been thinking about it. I haven't yet yeah. even gotten to the branding part. And I think branding super important, obviously. Um, yeah. But first it's just, I always think about the experience. Who, yeah. How do we keep people engaged? Um, the branding is always at our peripheral anyway, but how do we do it right for a human, the human interaction? Yeah, I think that we've got a couple of, theories on both sides of the house. What we tend to work on more educating our field folks. So it's more of an internal approach. Um, and, you know, historically, virtual training has been sort of a necessary evil to some degree. And so super excited about the opportunity now that we have to look at it through a different lens. And I'm loving all the, the ideas and, and things that are coming from from this team here. I think that, you know, we spent so much time when we first did it, it was like 2010, we jumped in with the idea that we were going to perfectly recreate what they were going to experience on site. And it, it's not a one for one. And so being able to look at the different levels, the different options, not just this look like an expo floor, so they should go to this expo floor, you know. So I think that we're finally getting folks thinking past that linear thinking, right? Our whole organizations coming together, uh, events across the company. And there's probably a bigger side of our event space that is um, really focused on the marketing and the external event elements and stuff. And honestly, it, I don't know that they've thought about it until now. There's always some digital aspect of how we approach uh, the events that either we're hosting or participating in, but not in the idea that we're talking about now, how to really much more thoughtfully engage and keep them engaged. But organizationally, we're trying to figure this out together. So we've got on top of everything else, it's been sort of an interesting thing because there's very different schools of thought and very different 
considerations when you're working with your own employees uh, versus how to go out to the rest of the world and attract your attendees. But I think it's good. I'm super excited because it feels like a pivotal point for us to be able to, to do this way better than we've been doing it. We had the exact same experience in 2010. We acquired an, an organization called the Virtual Edge Institute, and we did our vers- first virtual trade show. And it was like recreating the trade show with avatars, and it did not work um, at all. And I, I look back at that and think, like, I'm so glad that we've all learned from that experience because it, it is it, what we learned from that is that you cannot recreate the live experience in a virtual. It needs to be differentiated. It has different um, participation and engagement strategies. So absolutely agree with you on that. How do we support the reskilling of the event industry? You know, it's interesting for us as PCMA because we've had this as part of our curriculum for the last 10 years of this opportunity to do digital events, but it didn't have a lot of um, uh, attention. People weren't really interested in doing the certification or it was very limited, I should say. And our opportunity is we do see this as something that's going to become more critical as part of the event professional skill that's needed. Um, I, we don't think it, it will replace it, but it's certainly something that is kind of another layer of a di- really different skills to produce something in a lot in a digital environment um, versus live. So um, I think there are, there's certainly things that cross over in terms of when you think of like having a run a show and production, like that's something that translates to the virtual environment as well. Um, but one of the things I think someone mentioned about just people's attention, I think it was Megan, you know, some of the things that we've done in surveys is just you're, you need to be more engaging as a presenter. So your speakers have to present in a different way because people are just, you know, they're not in the room with the lighting and the, the, I guess, the show that they normally experience. How might tools like AR and VR be utilized in a virtually accessible and virtually inclusive way? And what are some best practices to consider when applying these tools? I think there's a couple of things to think about when we're talking about virtual reality and augmented reality, and we're talking about the idea of virtual spaces in general. Um, When you create a virtual space, it doesn't have to be limited to a virtual reality or an augmented reality, right? We still have plenty of other technologies that we can implement. We can implement desktop. So we can have somebody through a web browser. We can have somebody download an application to their desktop. Somebody can download an app to their phone, somebody can, uh, whether, whatever platform you're on, right? So we have a lot of opportunity for, for virtual space to take place. And that also, I think if you think about it too, like, a website is a virtual space. So it's really, again, going back to that idea of what the goal of that environment is. So when we talk about accessibility, uh, things like AR are much more accessible. Uh, You have the ability on pretty much any device out there at this point to run an AR application and bring it into a space. There's the ubiquitousness of um, what became Pokemon Go, right? Everybody all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, now look at this, I've got Pokemon in the real world, whether you play Pokemon or not. But when you talk about VR, things start to become a little less accessible. And there's a few barriers that are involved in that. Uh, The barriers are like kind of threefold. You have um, number one, right now, everybody's concern is germophobia. So uh, that when you're at an event and when you're in a shared space, 
is something that is going to be difficult to overcome, I think, at least for the immediate future. Um, so the idea that you could potentially, now that devices are becoming much less expensive, uh, the days of a tethered device are kind of going by the wayside, unless you're like a serious gamer. Uh, you can have an untethered device that you throw on your head that has about the power of a really good cell phone, and you can be off to the races. You can send those out to whether it be a customer or whether you somebody pays for a virtual ticketed event. You could theoretically send that to them with the application installed. Um, so that's one way to overcome that. Um, and then the idea of potentially exclusive uh, in-person events. Then there's the, um, the claustrophobia factor that you may <laughs> never get anybody over um, once they put a head, the idea that people think they're automatically gonna be confined to a space, which is the exact opposite of what virtual reality's goal accomplish is to actually expo explore the world in greater detail um, or a virtual world. Um, and then the third factor is motion sickness and that's easy to overcome with a variety of different things. So I think there's the accessibility piece of it um, will, will come in time as it gets, I think, as the technologies get a little bit cheaper and as um, more people start to embrace it as a viable option to educate and explore. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about the kind of educational aspect of um, VR? I know you have some uh, points of view on kind of how that virtual this kind of spatialization of content and information helps to support that learning experience. Sure. So I think of, of VR and AR to that example, because I think that you can translate a VR world into an AR environment pretty easily. Yeah. It's the idea that content it has to be uh, consumed in brief bites. I like to think of it like a billboard on a highway. So when you have a headset on, you're taking in your environment and your input in a very similar way to the way you're taking in the real world. Your eyes and your ears take in the stimulus around you extremely quickly. Um, but to that point, you're moving past it. You don't have the opportunity to stop. So, or you can in VR, but you don't really want to get into that idea of reading long pieces of content. Uh, you don't want to open up a white paper, right? You don't want to have somebody reading paragraphs and pages of content. So it should be brief, exciting, and quick. And then after that engagement, hopefully, if it's nonlinear, if you have a lot of a variety in there for people to choose to things that they can relate to, when they walk out of that experience, whether it be in a museum, whether it be in a sales engagement, whether it be in a trade show floor, they have something to talk about with you, right? They've absorbed it, they've grabbed it pretty quickly. Um, and I know, I think Katie said she worked in video, as you know, like when you're watching a, a camera move around, right? And like you're trying to edit that video and then somebody glanced on something for a brief second, they moved away. You're like, oh gosh, I needed, to, I needed that. I needed to be able to, to read that, but it's gone. Whereas when you're in that VR environment, you have the ability to, to, to get that uh, information in quicker because your eye it can perceive things much faster than it can in say like a, a video engagement or a print as you're walking by in, in the space. So, um, but I think it can be a great tool for conversation. It doesn't have to limit you to that being the one place where you learn it. It shouldn't be that. It should be the opportunity to be in that space, walk out of that space, and then go talk to a real person. We think about um, virtual reality tools not as being this completely self-contained experience, but they're a component of a participant's journey, right? We think about uh, the information that, you know, what do we give people 
before as content? How do we use to kind of layer on top? How do we follow up afterwards? I think VR is an incredible tool for empathy. I mean, one of the most profound VR experiences I had was the Migrant Journey exhibit. Um, it's called Carne Urena, and you are actually in this sand pit, and it was cold, and the sirens were going off, and it was a, a desert crossing and it, it evokes this tremendous, so there, there was a human analog physical element mixed with VR that made it so profound. I just, I just want to approach one thing that Amy said, which I think is really important, is that sensory input that comes in and that you have an opportunity that in the real world, we're surrounded by it all the time, right? We're surrounded by sounds, we're surrounded by smell. Um, in VR, obviously, you can't get the smell. Um, you could create a 4D environment if you wanted to, but we'll save that for another conversation. The, but that idea of sensory input being a great way to connect people to memory is, is crucial. And I think, you know, that migrant journey piece, I saw that. It's really, it's, it's heart-wrenching and, and powerful, and it's the sound and the emotion and the, the sensory input that comes from it. Um, and so I think, I think that's an important component to think about in any type of virtual environment. Okay, folks, uh, thanks ever so much. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you.